2: It's time to take command
0: with former NFL tight end Logan Paulson and former Commander's Beat reporter Craig Hoffman.
1: What's up, what's happening? Welcome in to Take Command. That is Logan Paulson, fresh off the Senior Bowl. I am Craig Hoffman, fresh off a full day of Dan Quinn coverage. Here we go, day two, Logan uh, Dan Quinn probably, here. here's the funny thing, uh, officially hasn't been announced yet. I'm guessing that is going to be uh, something that happens today. Uh, I've been told by a little bird that perhaps Monday the introductory press conference uh, could happen. So uh, we will obviously be hearing from him eventually, but now we just continue to talk about him. And who better to do it than someone who played for him? Uh, that would be you, sir, uh, is folks watching on youtube can see the graphic that's not my name there that is yours uh who played for dan quinn back in 2018 with atlanta and uh logan i mean i'm just going to give you the floor Uh, i obviously did a a full three-hour show yesterday talking about this and um i certainly will will reiterate some of those thoughts on the podcast but you hear the news dan quinn's the guy what immediately goes through your head
0: yeah i mean it feels honestly kind of like a dream a little bit, you know what I mean? Because he's, I got him. Peters is a guy that I had a connection with and a guy that I know and a guy that I have a lot of respect for. And then Dan is a guy, again, you bump into guys over your court, over over your playing career. And you're just like, this guy's a special person. And, um, and I mean that with like the utmost respect in the sense that like, he's just, he's his, his, his engagement with the players was so high. His care about the players was so high, his ability to kind of, motivate and get the most out of the players on a day-to-day basis i thought was incredible so i just think it's a tremendous it's a tremendously like in terms of just like quality human beings who've had success in the nfl um you know i think this is this is pretty fantastic so i'm excited about it and i know there's some people who you know maybe feel differently but I, i think as we talk through dan quinn and what he's done and you know my experience with him i think maybe people feel a little bit differently so
1: Yeah, I mean, the the early pushback is that it's Ron Rivera 2.0. And I'm not going to be obtuse enough to say I don't understand it on the surface. I just think they're two very different people in two very different situations. And the, the short version of it is simply this. Like, Dan Quinn is a really good football coach who's being hired to be a football coach. And by the way, I think he's a better football coach than Ron Rivera. You know, I don't. we don't need to spend time debating that. And time will tell ultimately uh, in terms of this role. But on, on a bigger structural level, like Ron Rivera was hired in this very silly coach centric model that Dan Snyder modeled off of other places that didn't actually have that model work. Um, like He thought that's what was going on in, in Seattle, and it wasn't. Uh, he thought that's what was going on in New England. It was, but it was a huge problem in New England. Right. And he gave Ron Rivera all this power. And I think Ron very quickly realized like that was a bad idea. Um, and instead of giving it up, he tried to just power on through it. And four years later, here we are. Dan Quinn is hired, being hired to be the football coach. It is not personnel. It is not scouting. It is not any of that stuff, his involvement of that will be that of a coach to say, Hey, this is what I'm looking for. These are the holes. This is what I need. His job is going to be to coach. And, um, I think that that is really exciting because that also was a downfall of Dan's in Atlanta. Um, he did have some personnel control, was a little bit more involved in those processes. And you talked about, uh, when we, Uh, you know, we're discussing him as a candidate, that one of the things that maybe he wishes he had done more was be more involved on the defensive side of the ball down there in Atlanta. And I'm curious kind of what the setup will be for him here. Uh, But ultimately, the the job for him is to coach the football team. And I think that in itself is going to make whoever they hired more successful, and especially a guy like Dan Quinn, who's very, very good at coaching football teams.
0: Yeah, I mean, I totally agree. I think like when you get a talent like Adam Peters, you want to lead on that, like lean on his expertise. And ultimately, like it's going to be Dan's team. And I think that's how it should be. But I do think you have a guy who's excellent identifying talent and understanding how to fit the talent to the scheme. And so I think if Dan can be very clear, and Dan will be able to be very clear, he's a great communicator about what he's looking for from a player standpoint. I think Adam's going to be able to go out in free agency and through the draft and find some of those guys. So I think that's why this is an exciting proposition. And I also think like... You know, it's just Ron has a like a there's a traditional nature to Ron, which I have a lot of respect for, right? He's he's a player's coach, I think he's a good guy, but there's an energy to Dan that is very unique to Dan. And I say this like not to besmirch Ron, but to just kind of show you how special Dan is. Like I and I say I've said this a couple of different places, and I'm gonna say it here again. Like I never had more fun playing football in my time in the NFL than when I was with him. Obviously, there was position coaches, and I had a great time with Kyle, all those different things, but he was a guy that just made it so much fun to go to work. And people say, Why is that important? And the guys just gave him more because they enjoyed the process, especially like veterans that had been other places, they'd come there and they would just pour everything into that organization. And I thought, like that that comes from him. And he made specific decisions with coaches that, um, you know like had similar energies and similar passions and it showed up you know like coach olbrick he's the he's the head coach of the senior he was one of the head coaches of the senior bowl like yep. he's the head coaching candidate he's from this tree he's from dan's tree and you can see in how they run practice the energy between the two practices was so dramatically different and that's a point of emphasis for them and so i felt like the first practice in the morning watching again we're, we're not talking about the senior Bowl; i'm talking about the coaching here was way more productive and way more energetic because the guys were excited to be out on the field and out of practice. And they had done that in three days. And I think, uh, and I think that's the big difference. This is a more, this is a kind of coaching style that I think fits the modern player a little bit better. The younger players. I think Pete, one of the reasons Pete Carroll was so successful because he adopted this style when we talking to Kyle about it as well. He's like, you know, this idea of not making it a total grind to come to work and making it enjoyable, adding some games and some competition just to kind of, light like make it a little bit more light in the day kyle's like i think that's one of the best things i learned from dan and you know kyle's a guy that i think we talk about you know kind of with you know uh very respectful tones because of his pedigree and his resume but for him to be like this is one thing that i think is so important moving forward um, i think just shows you the impact that dan that that dan has on people that that dan can have on people so again like it's um i think like to your point the the gm coach division there i think is going to be huge but also i think the energy that dan's going to bring is going to be really exciting and uh, you know i'm not saying that this is like you know oh it's done now like everything's fine everything's perfect like coaching hires are now the next big thing and they've always been a big thing so we'll see how that process goes but i'm really excited that dan is is here and going to be a part of the commanders moving forward
1: yeah no doubt i think the other big difference um between why it's not rivera 2.0 if you will is I think Quinn has a reputation for bringing accountability in a way that Rivera did not. Ron talked about accountability a lot, but ultimately we saw it play out. You know, guys like Chase Young never doing what they were supposed to do, and it never got fixed. And you know, if you talk to enough people in the building, that there was some, a lot of frustration with that. Some and, and like other players, coaches, whatever, and it never happened. And uh, Logan, I was debating whether we were going to use this clip or not, but I I have a clip because uh, okay. I had I had a, someone else who played for Dan Quinn uh on my show yesterday uh kj Wright, pro bowl linebacker uh, for the seattle seahawks uh joined me and talked about uh what his experience was with dan and you're going to hear a lot of what logan just said at a very different point in quinn's career this time obviously a younger defensive coordinator when kj was playing for him and they went to two super bowls in seattle but also um kind of that that hard line that he will draw in his own way when necessary
2: First off, he's an awesome human being. He's an awesome person, and um, I love the man. He he finds out what you're doing off the field, sees how your family's doing, see what you're going through mentally throughout the season. And so he gets that part of you just being a human being. And then you just go to the football side. The guy is a solid dude. He's a brilliant mind. When you talk about the personalities that we had in Seattle, Richard Sherman, Earl Thomas, Michael Bennett, like – you need a phenomenal leader to lead a bunch of those guys. And he helped everyone to a very high standard, as talented and as good as we were. When we did mess up, Dan Quinn was the guy to address it and to make sure that we not flip. And obviously, what you saw, we was the most dominating defense for four years in a row. And so um, just an awesome mind. He knows at the right time when to call a certain coverage, when to dial a certain blitz and he can see things before they even happen on the football field. That makes for a perfect coordinator. It makes for a perfect coach the way he just puts guys in position to be successful, Successful, and so on. There's not no Ron Rivera 2.0. Two different personalities at that, and so on. It's going to be really, really different over there with the commanders.
1: So there you go. That yeah. is KJ Wright, and he talks about the accountability, uh, but also all that stuff that you talked about that's, that's so positive, but I think that ability to both be someone's friend if you will the, to have that personal relationship to treat someone like an adult but also understanding that treating someone like an adult means telling them when they're wrong and holding them accountable and ultimately understanding like this is a business and if you're not going to do the job the way that we ask we'll find someone else to, who will like that's the nfl and that's how you succeed in the nfl
0: no i think that's 100 right and i think he said a lot of great stuff there you know and i think just to kind of double click on some of it like his football mind his football acumen is very, very high. And I think when you look at his evolution as a coach, I think it's very special. Like There was a period of time where all these guys coming out of Seattle, all these guys uh, from the cover three, tree the Seattle three, the Seattle six, whatever you want to call that coverage, were really dogmatic about hanging on to it. And when I was in Atlanta, near the tail end of his time there, he was like, we need to, I, there was a, I could see it in his eyes, man, we come out to practice, like, we need to change this, and so then when he goes to Dallas, like it's almost a completely different defense, the principles are the same, you know this bend but don't break, be aggressive in certain spots find good pass rushers, put those pass rushers in good positions to be successful but the coverage structures are different, the emphasis is different, and I think like it's just, again, to KJ's point, the ability to maximize talent, like I think about you know, Michael Parsons, who's obviously one of the best defensive ends of the NFL, if he's Year in Washington last year in kind of this four down just rush the quarterback. I don't know if he gets the 10 sacks. And that's saying a lot because Micah Parsons is a dynamic pass rusher. When you look at what Dan does for him and freeing up freeing him up and maximizing the other people in that front, I think it's pretty special. So I definitely think he's a, f- a smart football guy. Um, I think the accountability thing is also interesting. You know, it's going to be a little bit different than you know like EB. It's going to be it's not going to be kind of as you know um, aggressive maybe kind of traditional but he does a good job of, of kind of holding you to a standard while also walking that line. So, again, it's, you know, there's no perfect coach, but I I, I love Dan. Dan's an excellent human being. I, you know, that's what KJ said. And I, I can't reiterate that enough. Like, it is that kind of care and compassion for the players. It gets them to play hard for him. And I think that, that that can't be undervalued. And, again, that cultural element, like, as, as a head coach, he's gonna I think he's going to be doing less X's and O's. But that cultural element is really why you're bringing that guy in here. And I think you're going to get 53 guys who want to come to work and want to be the best versions of themselves. I think that's the other thing that I haven't really said before, but it's like when I was in Atlanta, he was fostering this, this, this intense growth with the players. He was encouraging you every day to kind of find something new. And so guys on their own players on their own would stay after practice and work on stuff independent of coaches. And I thought like that's, you don't really see that everywhere you don't really see that around the NFL like certain guys will do it but they get a whole position group to stay and be player led again he he's a special guy and again he, we there's a lot of stuff that still needs to happen in this process to make sure that you know the commanders are successful this year but um but yeah man i i totally agree with with the majority of what kj said
1: Yeah, so a couple of questions that I want to tackle here. Um, I want to get to what he does with this roster in a second because I'm pretty intrigued by some of the pieces and how they fit in kind of the traditional Quinn mold. But you talked uh, a month ago when we were were talking about Quinn as a a candidate about him calling you. That after uh, he got fired in Atlanta, he made many calls, one of which was to you to basically ask, hey, if I do this again, what do I have to do differently? What went wrong in your eyes? He he fielded feedback. What feedback uh, did you give him, and what do you think that he heard that he's got to do differently? Because at the end of the day, I can hear fans screaming, listening to stuff, being like, it's great. And all this stuff sounds great, but then why was he 43 and 42? Why was he 0 and 5 in his last season? Why did he get fired? Like yeah. Ultimately, yeah, you were—you went to a Super Bowl, which turned into being the biggest blown lead in Super Bowl history. Why am I supposed to get excited about this guy if, if that's who he is? So how does he change to make it better than it was in Atlanta on the record side of it, which is ultimately the job? You know, all this all this stuff is good and it's important, but the job is to win. And so how does, like, what's the feedback you gave him? and What do you think others told him to ensure that that he's more successful this time around?
0: Yeah, so I think a couple of things there. Like, first off, it's hard to get to the Super Bowl, right? Not a lot of teams yeah. do that. So good Look, for to him. blow a
1: 28-3 lead, you got to be up 28-3 in the Super yeah. Bowl, and that's a that's a rare feat. <clears throat>
0: And, you, you know, you lose to Tom Brady, whatever, you know, that's a tough yeah. deal. Um, I also think that, like, there's a couple of factors there. It's not just – I think people, like, they put so much onus on the coach. And we'll get to my advice that I gave him in a second. But, like, they put so much on, onus on the head coach. But I think when you look at what happened after that 28-3 lead, like Kyle Shanahan leaves. And I I give get, I give Dan a ton of credit. He was instrumental in that hire. He was a big part of that hire. in terms of identifying talent and we've talked about the importance of offensive coordinators and defensive coordinators and so at around the same time he is relinquishing defensive play calling duty kyle leaves so essentially you're losing two coordinators right and i think that's a huge effect i also think you know matt ryan's getting older they just paid matt ryan a ton of money we always talk about the quarterback and how you have to um you know you have to invest in that position but how once you've invested the roster starts to deteriorate also i think it's interesting that they had some guys that played really really well in that season what season was that was that 2016 15 2015 whatever that was
1: yeah 15 was the year ryan won mvp so 15 16
0: you know yeah 15 16 2016
1: yeah. is when the super bowl is
0: yeah so you know they had some guys that played really well that year that regressed Hardcore and weren't quite the same players. Like Vic Beasley's a guy that comes to mind. So it's not just Dan in a bubble. I don't think. I think. I think people forget right. that it's you're losing two coordinators. You've got this huge kind of albatross of a contract. I, I, Matt deserved to get paid. Julio deserved to get paid. But when you pay people like that, it limits who you can bring in to support them. And I think uh, it became really like I remember going in. It was such a unique experience going to Atlanta for training camp because they had their. 20 guys that were going to make the team and everybody else was a rookie like basically. And so it's hard to win football games like that. And that those are personnel decisions. And hopefully, you know, Adam Peters can have the foresight to kind of keep them out of those, those situations like Dimitrov. I love Dimitrov. He was an awesome human being. But again, I think if you were to ask Dimitrov, that's some things he would like to do differently as well too. And then, you know, I think to, uh, to my advice now and and advice that I've heard other people give him.
1: Yeah. Real quick, just to put a pause and a pin in that. Like that to me is one of the most important things is that, you know, a lot of the stuff, like you look at what happened to Vrabel in Tennessee. Yeah, it's and I think thing. there's there's a lot of similarities to Quinn in Atlanta. And I think Dan had, apart from talking to some folks down in Atlanta, is like Dan had a say in some of those bad decisions on the roster and and where some of the investment was made and where he thought maybe he could cover holes. And I think Adam Peters is not gonna necessarily like obviously he will take Dan's input, but we know that it is Peter's show on the personnel side here. And so that automatically takes that off of his plate. And Dan hopefully learns from those mistakes. And if he has faced with similar challenges again, his input's probably going to be a little different. So I, I look at those things as long as he has the humility to learn as positives this time around, even if they were negatives in Atlanta.
0: Yeah. And I think, uh, and so, yeah. And I think to your point, like what, you know, what have people told him? Like, I think. Uh, One of the things that I told him was like, hey, just make sure you got the right people like in those coordinator spots and at the O-line coaching spots and and with the tight end room. Like, make sure those coaches are guys that you trust emphatically to get the job done. Because I felt like in uh, I was there in 18 kind of transitioning to 19. I could see him trying to stretch himself too thin to kind of kind of cover all these bases because he not that he was losing trust, but he just wasn't getting what he needed. Always from the coordinators, you know, and I think uh, like I have a lot of respect for Sark. I have a lot of respect for, uh, gosh, I forget the guy in 2019. Awesome guy, very, very you know, uh, good dude, Dirt Cutter, Dirt Cutter. You know, uh, but I think there was a there was a little bit of a drop off, and it was like he, I could, just being around him, I felt like it was slipping away from. Him. So I said, just make sure that you know th- those guys are are getting what you want done, and because uh, I think his superpower is. Is building that culture, building relationships, and obviously defensively, he's a he's a really bright dude. But at the time, he wasn't doing that for Atlanta, right? He had kind of shifted into a more managerial role. So I'm like, if you're going to do that, make sure those guys are excellent. And I and I really believe, I, I really believe he's a guy that, and that's another thing I have a I have the utmost respect for him in this regard. He is always humble, and he's always trying to learn. He's always trying to better himself, and so I do think he's a, like fans are like, well, now we got to hire an offensive coordinator. I, there there's no doubt in my mind that Dan is fully aware of how important that hire is. He understands emphatically how important that is. And so like he's going to treat this like with the respect that it deserves, I believe. And I think that that's ultimately a good thing to have someone with that kind of awareness. And you know, I've talked to other people who who he, he was on calls with and and just how receptive he was to their feedback as well, I think was also fantastic. So I, again, I I have I have confidence that that this is this is going to work better because he is a guy that is constantly learning and constantly improving himself. And, and people say, well, like, you know, that's just words. But I say, look at what happened in Dallas. Look at how he changed. Look at how the defense changed. Look at how he evolved. Look at, you know what I'm saying? And I think those things are, are incredibly important just to be aware of. Like there, there's a historical context here to his career that is different than the comparison in Ron, I think. And I think that's the thing that really sticks out to me about this hire and about this relationship with Adam Peters that makes this so different. Like he's he's learned, he's better, and I think we're gonna have a better result here in Washington.
1: So if Dan Quinn called me and asked me advice, he's like, hey, I I haven't heard of you, but you seem to have talked to a lot of people that I know. Uh, Why don't don't you give me some advice? I'd be like, well, this is weird because this is, hi, Dan, nice to meet you. But no, I I think that one of the things that KJ told me yesterday in a different part of the interview that I would tell him is you got to be involved in the defense. Mm -hmm. Like Dan Quinn is too good of a defensive mind to be a CEO head coach. And I thought KJ was really interesting. And he said, I would tell, cause I asked KJ that question. I was like, I don't know if you were one of the calls, but like, if you were slash, you know, if he were to call you, what would you tell him? And his first thing was, you got to call the place. He's like, mm-hmm. you are too, and th- this is a guy that I really value that from because he played on the side of the ball with Dan Quinn as a play caller. Like right. that's an experience for all your experience with Dan. Like you didn't have that um, right. where KJ was was in those situations on the field with with DQ sending in the plays. And he was KJ was like, we were always in a good one. Like we always yeah. had the answer. And obviously in Seattle, it was a lot easier because often the answer was cover three, go do your thing. But he dialed up the blitzes and changed it up just that little bit that he did in Seattle, always seemingly at the right time. And that feel for that, which he's continued to show in Dallas, who was fifth in total defense last year and has been very good his entire time there, um is really valuable and, and kj pointed to D'Amico ryans and what he's done in houston and setting it up that way that we think of the play calling thing with kyle and, and kevin and sean and and mike and uh other mike miami mike and green bay yeah. mike uh or matt uh, in, in <laughs> yeah. green bay and mike and uh which by the way mike lafleur uh matt's brother who is actually named mike and now that i've confused the hell out of everyone uh, <laughs> is is a potential oc candidate we'll get some more coaching candidates um in a second but um, all those guys are play callers. And we think of that as an offensive thing. Like, oh, if the offensive head coach gets the job, he's got to find a way to maintain play calling responsibilities. And, well, if they do it on defense, it's going to be Brandon Staley. And it's like, it doesn't have to be. You know, right. it can be It can be D'Amico Ryans. And yeah. KJ was adamant that Dan should keep that play calling role. Now, I do wonder um, if... You know, it was reported yesterday, uh, I've still only seen this uh, from Aaron Wilson, who's been covering the NFL forever, and I I don't doubt it, but um, Aaron Wilson was reporting that Joe Witt Jr., who was thought by many to be the defensive coordinator and waiting in Dallas if DQ left is actually going to come here and be the defensive coordinator. It certainly seems like he's going to be bringing someone, if not multiple, someone's with him from Dallas who might know him and his play calling tendencies very well and could execute that at a very high level. But I, I kind of hope that he does. I hope that Dan sets this up in a way where, yeah, he's the head coach and he's got CEO responsibilities, but that he's involved in the defensive side of the ball because I, I do think often coordinators, who are great. And Dan Quinn is one of the best defensive coordinators in the last 15 years of the NFL. I mean, the two years in Seattle are like the two years of resume that any DC can offer that are better than what Mike McDonald just did in Baltimore. Like they were one in yards, one in points, back-to-back years in Seattle. Um, I think when when you take away that from your organization because you're busy doing other stuff, you're taking away one of your biggest strengths. So I hope that he is involved on the defensive side of the ball in a major way tbd but i don't know i i feel i don't want to say like really strongly about that but i i feel like that would be a positive
0: no i do think so too and i think when you look back to the game that the commanders had against or both games that the commanders had against dallas this year like he does have an excellent feel for like how to call games and how to get them in the right call And there's times where it's almost at least in the first uh first washington game uh that like i felt like he almost knew he almost knew the call like he obviously he didn't but like He kind of felt like he just had that kind of anticipatory feel for the game, which is always really cool to see. And again, I do think that that speaks to his talent. And and you mentioned Brandon Staley there. And one of the things about Brandon Staley that I've heard from multiple people is that Brandon Staley took the job when he was relatively young. And he hadn't cultivated this tree or this infrastructure of, of coaching relationships. And Dan does not have that issue. Dan knows right. everybody in the NFL. Like, Dan has a very strong connection to the Kyle Shanahan tree. So if Kyle has somebody that he feels is dynamic as a plate caller or has an opportunity to be something, he's got that relationship. He's got that stuff in Dallas. He's got the stuff from Atlanta. He's got the stuff from Seattle. And so I think, like, there's a I have a higher confidence level that you're going to get a better staff. And then with that better staff, like you said, you know, he can bring in pieces to support himself. And I think people forget that, like, Kyle, when, he's in, when he was in um, San Francisco – had Mike McDaniel, who was not the OC, but did a lot of the day to day grunt work that so Kyle could a be the head coach, but also be still be the OC and still call plays. Yeah. And, so, and by
1: the way, uh, just to use a non-Kyle example, because we talk about Kyle all the time, like right. um, in, in uh, Cincinnati, Zach Taylor's the play caller, Brian Callahan did a lot of the day to day OC stuff and he did it well enough that he just got hired as Tennessee's head coach.
0: Absolutely, and I think Sean McVay, when he was here with Jay, like Jay was the OC, but totally. Sean did all that stuff. Uh, O'Connell, like Wes Phillips, does all the kind of grunt work there. So there's a, there's a precedent for having someone that you're very familiar with, right? That you can come in, and I'm sure that you're going to give a long leash to. But I also think that um, you know you can still be involved with, and because because again, Sean did the whole game plan, like he did everything. Um, Mike McDaniel did the whole game plan and Kyle and Jay were smart enough to kind of just oversee tangentially and feel comfortable, comfortable enough to call the game. So maybe you get a relationship like that here um, between Dan and the guy from from Dallas. So, so we'll see. But I do think that there are precedents for making sure, again, and it goes back to the staff, man, like both of those guys and these all of the guys we just referenced, you know, Wes Phillips, Sean McVay, Mike McDaniel are incredibly smart people. And they're incredibly innovative. And they, because of their intelligence and innovation, deleverage leverage that play caller in a nice way. So if, again, it comes down to making sure on this staff, you've surrounded yourself with dynamic people, young people, ambitious people. Because I mean, everyone kind of cites that, what was that, 2013 staff? yeah, Like that was a big characteristic of that. It was hyper competitive and they all wanted to get better. I think as long as you can get a, a, a semblance of that here with this staff, you know, the competitiveness, the drive, the the hunger to be better, I think you're going to be in a pretty good spot. And ultimately, like, that's what we, we've talked about this at nauseum. but I think people sleep on how important this part is, you know, GM's big, head coach is big. This is, these are the, these are the troops on the ground, man. These are the guys that are getting your message across, keeping that cultural message uh, intact. So I think it's going to be imp- imperative, quite frankly.
1: Yeah, no, and and just to be clear, like that, we haven't really talked about the process yet, um, but we should, and we'll get there in a second. But I think that people like made this out with Quinn like it was some outsized, extraordinary thing. They hired Mike McDaniel. They hired Ben Johnson, right? The staff would have been insanely important because it's insanely important for everyone. I mean, I think Kyle Shanahan is the best uh, head coach in football. Um, you know, Andy Reid right there. Their staffs are really, really important. If Andy Reid doesn't have Steve Spagnola, they're not in the Super Bowl. Correct. Like if Kyle Shanahan doesn't have Mike McDaniel and Brian Greasy and, you know, Clint Kubiak, who we'll talk about in a moment, like if he doesn't have that, that buttressing to allow him to be great at the thing that he does and to fill in the holes uh, on the rest of the, the staff then it's not gonna work. And I think that was a huge failing of the last four years. We've talked about yeah. that a lot where they didn't have the staffing in place, whether it was the right people or or the best people for the job and, and we've seen the results of that. So it's critically important for Dan Quinn and, you know, it's especially important on the offensive side of the ball, if you have the number two pick and that guy's a quarterback and all that stuff, which is why I do think like if all other things are equal, you want to lean towards an offensive coach. But at the end of the day, the staff is important no matter what, because like you said, I love that that phrasing of it. These are the boots on the ground. And so it's going to be really important to see who he hires. And, and he's got a hell of a Rolodex pull from which brings us to uh some of the early rumblings and reportings uh logan as as we are recording this at this is always fun to timestamp a podcast but 8.42 currently in the morning on Friday. Uh, Some reports early after the hire that Clint Kubiak is going to be considered for the offensive coordinator spot. Yet another guy off of that Shanahan tree. Uh, He is currently the pass game coordinator out in San Francisco. A lot of folks speculating that Brian Greasy, the quarterback's coach out in San Francisco, could be a potential OC candidate as well. And then there were some rumblings last night that Chip Kelly could be in the mix as well. The UCLA head coach looking potentially to get back into the NFL, uh, obviously was with the 49ers, uh, was with uh, the Philadelphia Eagles and had some really good years. I think Chip's reputation in the NFL is probably not – uh, it's not as bad as some people remember it because there were obviously some leaner years as well, and he got blown out very quickly in San Francisco. But um, what do you make uh, of any of these guys? I don't know how much experience you have. You obviously watch UCLA a ton uh, as, yeah. as your alma mater. Um, but any early thoughts on, on these names or, or the tree that they are falling from?
0: Yeah. So, you know, obviously the Clint Kubiak one is interesting because, you know, Kubiak is, uh, you know, he, his father is very successful in his own right. And Kyle has a relationship with his dad when he was in Houston. Um, but that was the position that Bobby Sloak was in last year, the, the past game coordinator, right? So obviously there's a recent history and a recent precedent of, of a very talented guy coming out of that position. And that guy is going to be, again, kind of fall in that pseudo offensive coordinator category for Kyle. And if they're working closely with Kyle, Kyle is going to be extremely, extremely uh, taxing towards them in terms of what he's demanding. So I think um, after being in that position for a year, I think he's probably, I don't know if he's ready, but I'm sure he knows a lot of football. And I'm sure he's, you know, I don't know. Again, I don't know if he's ready, but I, again, that, that football acumen is probably there. The one that I think is really interesting is Brian Greasy just every report coming out of there is like his 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 development and his relationship with Brock Purdy has been so important in terms of Brock Purdy's development now can he call plays can he get everything can he organize an offense I'd like to think so but I think that one because of the experience because you know he's not long in the tooth but he's a former player he's been around football for a long time he's coached at different levels there's something about that that feels better to me but again he might not be ready either and those are things that and I and that's the other thing is I think a lot of these guys, aren't ready when it starts, but they get ready as it comes. You know, like I think about right. Kyle when he became the – I got to see Kyle when he became the OC in Washington, and I got to see Kyle his first year head coaching. And he was was he fully ready for those positions? No. But he kind of learned on the job and got better as he went and improved and, and developed into, into the guy he is today. And then Chip Kelly to me is interesting too, I think. And I, at first I really I, – I balked hard at that because I was thinking back Same. to – you know what he was with the 49ers, what he was in Philly, and in Philly it was such a unique situation because they had this uber talented offensive roster and it worked because you had Michael Vick, you had Deshaun Jackson, you had Macklin and you had all this team speed, you know, Shady McCoy, and you could basically do whatever you wanted in that up tempo offense and it wasn't like they were doing anything complicated. They just kind of out out-athleted you and out-revved you in terms of reps per game. But I think now when you watch UCLA I've seen a a maturation from that, and I had to th- kind of think about it when you asked me about it this morning, is an, a, a really nice evolution in terms of the RPO stuff that they're doing. So it really felt a lot more similar to, obviously there's still shades of what he was doing in Philadelphia, but there was a, a very strong similarity to what Philly does with their quarterbacks. And this is not Philly last year. this is Philly two years ago, right, where they're doing, it's a really heavy RPO system where they kind of ensure easy throws for the quarterback. That kind of becomes an extension of your, it's a run game, quick game kind of hybrid. And I thought, man, with a young quarterback like Jaden Daniels or even Drake May, a guy that can move around a little bit, that probably deleverages them quite a bit, at least for a year or two. So again, I don't know if that's the direction you want to go, but I feel I still got to watch more UCLA film, like all 22 stuff to kind of give you a definitive answer here about how I feel about that. But I thinking about that wrinkle that has developed over the last 10 years of him being uh, in college and in coaching, I think to me, because the, how prolific that was for Philly. I'm like, man, that would be a really nice feature for a young quarterback come to the NFL.
1: Yeah, it would be really interesting. Um, I was just looking back real quick at some stats. I mean, the first two years in Philly chip went 10 and six. Um, And by the way, he had never been in the league before. Yeah. So he's got some NFL experience now. And the NFL game, frankly, looks a lot more like the college game offensively these days, uh, more than it ever has. Um, And that San Francisco team that went two and 14 is one year in San Francisco, like, Jeremy Curley was a leading receiver. That yeah. was a very, very not talented, uh, ultimately by NFL standards roster. Um, so it, it, it was a situation uh, that was that was suboptimal to say the least. And so I, I do think I'm I'm more intrigued by Chip than I was like the violent hell no that I had when that report yeah. first came out last night. I still would much prefer I think a Clint Kubiak, someone off that Shanahan tree, where there is just. Like, I, you know, it, it is a bit of a champagne problem, right? If this, if Clint Kubiak is the guy and he has an awesome year with Jaden Daniels and they can convince him to stay for one year, but it's a Bobby Sloak situation. And we have to think that Sloak's going to be one of the favorites for jobs around the NFL next year. Uh, and that happens to Clint Kubiak. Like, it's easier to find someone else off of that tree. And I also really, you know, you mentioned something early in that answer that I always think about with with the Shanahan and McVeigh trees, which is because those guys are so thorough, you know, there's a certain work ethic and kind of a it's like a filter. Like if you've made it to the top levels of that tree, you are very good. Yes. Full stop point. Like that's why there's there's not a lot of misses off that tree and just because like you you get vetted by the process if you're good you will rise because the people above you are going to get poached and there's going to be opportunities and if you're not good enough you're not going to get promoted because you're not going to pass the test you're not going to have the answers that kyle and sean are looking for within the framework that you're existing before you can get the next job you're never going to get to that level and so I think that that tree is so intriguing to me in that way. And Clint's a lot like Kyle um, in that he his dad was an NFL head coach, grew up around it. Like Mike and Gary worked together forever, yeah. um, you know. And and so he's grown up on the same system and the same everything that Kyle has. He's just a few years younger and a few years behind him. Not that he's necessarily the next guy, but I, I do think that there's a lot of a lot to like there, even if he is young. But you know, if you're coming into a fairly young roster and, and a young quarterback, that age difference becomes, I think, a little less dramatic uh, because, like, you know, if you're 22 years old coming out of college. A 36 year old feels ancient. So um, that is that is something to consider as well. Um, and that that pass game coordinator role, like you said, has been kind of an incubator uh, for McDaniel, for Slowick, for now Clint Kubiak, uh, moving forward. Um, I, there, I, there is a couple more names that we've talked about over the last month and a half that I'm kind of surprised aren't coming up more. One you just mentioned, Wes Phillips, who was the tight ends coach here for a long time. He's been with Kevin. I'm surprised his name doesn't come up for OC or head coaching stuff more often, yeah. frankly. And then the other one that I think is interesting is is Frank Smith, your former yeah. uh, tight ends coach, who's the OC in Miami. We thought he could be a head coach candidate multiple places, including here. And his name's not come up. I, I just think that's interesting. Maybe it's another year for him, um, you know, under McDaniel down there in Miami. Um, Eric Studesville is a name that comes up, uh, as is Daryl Bevel, two guys that are on Mike's staff down in Miami. So those those are some of the names that are uh, that are popping up on the OC side of it. And then on the, the defensive side, it does seem like uh, Dan's got his eyes on multiple guys from Dallas. Uh, Joe Witt Jr., who, who we mentioned earlier, is the potential D.C., um, uh, they got their defensive line coach's name I'm blanking on, but then Al Harris as well, former uh, great defensive back in the NFL, who's done tremendous jobs with Trayvon Diggs and Duran Bland down there in Dallas. Uh, and, you know, that's super intriguing to me because, hey, come do that with Emmanuel Forbes, please.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, I think, again, and hopefully they get some of these talented pieces in here, but it's also got to fit. There's got to be good chemistry on the staff and you all got to kind of be going in the same direction because I think you look at, Carolina last year. And I thought they had some really talented coaches on the roster, but middle of the season, everyone gets fired because they're not kind of seeing things the way they're not seeing things cohesively. So um, again, hopefully they, this is, I mean, this is, this is to me, maybe the most important part of this whole process. Obviously you got to get the GM, you got to get that coach, but these next couple, couple days, couple weeks of how they fill this staff out is going to be incredibly important, like incredibly important. So um, whoever they decide, you know and again this is one of those things about coaches that's really hard is because you don't get to interact the media just in general doesn't get to interact with them that much you don't know them the same way unless you get a guy who's worked in the same building or whatever so all this is kind of speculative but again really really um critical part of the process no doubt
1: yeah for sure and it's worth mentioning that uh for clint kubiak and brian greasy specifically those guys cannot be interviewed till after the super bowl so if all of a sudden nothing is happening in the next couple of days, uh, you can bet your bottom dollar that they are waiting to interview those guys. Now there are relationships there, so you know it could they could back channel it through an agent and kind of know um, that that's that's going to happen. But they can't formally interview those guys until the Super Bowl is done. So uh, you got another eight days at least. If that's the role, obviously a guy like Chip Kelly could happen immediately. Uh, so we'll see what happens there. wrapping up here on take command two final buckets logan that we have talked about throughout the show that we're now going to dive into we'll get to how the current roster lines up with quinn and kind of what we think he will do with it in a moment but any final thoughts on the process right there was lots of consternation throughout lots of ups and downs lots of interviews and then ultimately you know a lot of a lot of momentum in the media towards Ben Johnson, uh, in certain circles, while yet other very plugged in, I would say the most plugged in people being like, hold on, like, let's, yeah. let's settle down. Uh, Johnson yeah. pulls out, McDonald goes to Seattle. Ultimately they get Quinn, but he's the last guy and they're the last, well, I should say they're the last team to make the hire. Um, any, any worries on how that all went down and how we landed here? Even if I think both of us see this as something that very much potentially yeah. could work. If some of the the key questions we've laid out are answered in the right ways.
0: Honestly, I don't really have that big of a concern about it. And I think the reason I say that is because just when you talk, again, when you talk to people who were plugged in, this wasn't like a one horse race. It wasn't like the Ben Johnson race. Um, it was apparently, again, and, and this is from, I'm getting this secondhand from people. And this was consistent through all the people that I talked to. It wasn't like Ben Johnson. It was like, they're all pretty close and they all had kind of their warts. They all kind of had their issues. And the, uh, the, the, the committee had reservations about guys you know, that I think the people weren't, uh, you know, the public wasn't necessarily aware of. So, again, like to me, this is they did their due diligence. Ben Johnson, no one got Ben Johnson, right? No one got Bobby Slowick. They both went back to their respective teams. Um, McDonald, well, I think they, you know, there was, he's very, very talented. I didn't talk to anybody familiar with the process, but people that I know in Baltimore, and they were like, you know, he does come across sometimes as a young guy. So, maybe in terms of just me totally uh con- this is total conjecture maybe they didn't think he was ready I don't yeah. know but and by the way
1: Josh Harris has a long history of hiring experienced coaches or at least right. guys that have been like you know his first hire in Philly for the Sixers was Brett Brown longtime Greg Popovich assistant not right. young hotshot
0: assistant right and so I think again like while while that name while the McDonald name is is kind, was kind of the the attractive name of the process in addition to the ben johnson name like the, i don't think there was like this def- there, there there were issues right there's an issue anytime you hire a young coach a guy that's never done it before and i do think that it was probably close and so i think like ultimately when it settles like i think they're very happy with the hire i think it's their guy i think they feel good about it but i don't think it was this this crazy like oh ben johnson or bust ben johnson was head and shoulders above the other other candidates from an interview process standpoint i think it was a little bit more connected than people think and all i know is that if if i'm if i'm adam and again this is total conjecture like i have a great resource about den quinn in kyle shanahan mm-hmm. like they just do they know each other really well uh, kyle has a lot of respect for dan so if i if i go to my a guy that i have a lot of respect for if i'm adam and i talk to kyle I talked to other people around the league. Like, there's not, there's nothing bad anyone's going to say about Dan. Like at at the Senior Bowl, right? They were doing a mic'd up segment and they had the camera on him, and we can't hear anything he's saying. But during the practice, everybody is coming up to him and dapping him up and saying congratulations about that. You know, because I got to talk to him afterwards. He's like, "Oh, yeah, everyone's really excited about the hire." So, I, again, Dan's well respected around the league. People have a lot of like this. This again, there's not. As long as you think about it as not like a one horse deal, I think it makes a little bit more sense about why this is okay. And I and I and I generally think that's how the process went.
1: No, I agree, and I think that because we see it from the Washington side, we have burgundy and gold colored glasses on. And right. in this case, I I say that phrase to say your timeline as you looked out at your watch through your burgundy and gold colored glasses is going to look very different than it looked from the outside in a more neutral, uh, objective point of view, right. uh, nevertheless, a Detroit lions, blue, uh, tinted glass, which is really Ben Johnson. Like I, is it optimal? What happened with him? Absolutely not. Right. Um, you know, he text, sending a text while, while the, the interviewers are on the plane to come to get you or to come interview you, I should say is not ideal, but that happened less than 48 hours after he lost a playoff game, right? There, there's not a ton of time for him to consider, and i he was probably like you know i kind of want to see how the things go with detroit and he was apparently pretty clear about that telling people he was going to be very selective and that he might go back like he's just a different dude yeah. and i, I don't right. think in a bad way like i think no. ultimately this will serve him well uh in wherever he goes but he really did want to go back and uh once there was unfinished business and sunday he loses monday's locker clean out day and he's probably thinking long and hard about it uh, does all his exit interviews uh, with his players, goes home, calls his agent. They're probably like, hey, sleep on it. By the time he wakes up the next morning and they they ultimately make their final call, the commanders are on the plane. Like, there's just not a lot of time there. Yeah. So, that part doesn't really bother me as much as I think it bothers a lot of people. And then, you know, the reality and ultimately, is. ultimately, I would say, yeah.
0: like, you don't want a guy who's, if I'm the commanders, I'm grateful that he did yes. that. Yes. Because I uh, don't want a guy. 100%. Who's, I don't want a guy who's half in and half out. Want a guy who's I in. don't
1: want a guy who's doing it because we're going to pay him 15 million dollars right Correct. I want a guy who's like this is, I'm psyched let's go yes, let's do and it. and there's a lot of guy I've said this a couple of times over the last few days on the radio there's a lot of guys in the NFL who would just take the money and figure it out Um, and convince themselves until they're three years in, they suck at it and they realize they were never all in, in the first place. And then they're giving an interview seven years later. And like, I never should have taken that job. Like you don't want that Ben Johnson saved you from that. You should be grateful. That's not a negative reflection. That's a positive reflection, even if it was messy. Um, but then there's also the reality of the timing of who else they were interviewing. And Kyle talked about this with me yesterday on the radio. And I'm sure he's talked about on his podcast, uh, as well. Uh, but because Aaron Glenn and Anthony Weaver were serious candidates for them, they needed to wait to interview them. And also they were treating that process seriously in terms of the Rooney rule. Like they were like, these are real candidates for us. This is not us checking boxes and BSing a very important part of the hiring process. These are real candidates for us and we might hire them. So we're not just gonna go interview two other uh, minorities outside the organization to box check and and rub everybody's face in it and then go hire Dan Quinn. No, we, got, we want to see what Anthony Weaver is and we want to see what Aaron Glenn is and those guys weren't available and ultimately they interviewed those guys on what, Monday and Tuesday and mm-hmm. they make a hire by Thursday. Like that ain't that long right. uh, to, in terms of a wait. It just felt extremely long because we on the Washington side have been in this for a long time. So I think right. once you kind of step out of the Washington box, you put a little perspective on it. Yes, they were last. Yes, it was unfortunate that they had to wait till the end to interview and ultimately make a hire because I do think it costs you a shot at Raheem Morris but Raw picks Atlanta okay yeah. Raw could have said hey you guys really like me I'm gonna wait it out and Atlanta would have sweated out along with Washington and Seattle but they land here all as well they got they got someone who was very much at the top of their list um last but not least uh and we can we'll dive more into this uh in depth maybe on the next show next couple of shows obviously uh coming up early next week we'll do a full senior bowl recap that will be our next podcast as well as a reaction to uh dan quinn's introductory press conference but uh logan any early thoughts on dq this defense what he's likely to bring principal wise and, and the roster as it stands right now
0: yeah, I mean uh, it's really early, obviously. Um, and just looking at what he did when he was in Dallas, I think you know there's a lot of guys that in that system that are very position flexible. So I look at like the Cam curls, the Percy Butlers. Obviously, Cam curls a free agent, but um, you know Forrest, these these safeties that are physical, they can be run players, they can also cover okay. I think that gives some kind of again flexibility to what he does. I think Benjamin Saint Juice from a height, weight, length standpoint is going to be significantly more productive in this system. Could you
1: imagine if Dan Quinn and that staff could teach him ball skills? That yeah. would be cool.
0: Yeah, no, I think. And so that's something that sticks out to me too. It's like, this is where I think you see, I, I've brought this up before, but like this old adage, that there's only four players on a team that are scheme agnostic. I think the scheme will elevate... A lot of these guys you know and again there there still is a deficiency in talent you need edge rushers you probably need some more linebackers to play some good football because look at the linebackers that he's had over the course of his career they're all very good but um i think there's some there's some excitement for me kendall fuller i think would be excellent in a cover two, cover three, sprinkling in a little bit of man's type of scheme, you know, cover six scheme. So, um, and I think when you get a coach like, um, what's his name? The the defensive back coach from Dallas? Uh, Al Harris. About, Al Harris. When you get a guy in there who's obviously showed a great proclivity for communicating and done it and has the experience, I think that's going to really elevate that group. So while that group yeah. looked like a looked like a hot mess at points last year, I think this is where you see the importance of coaching, the importance of scheme, and the importance of communication from those coaches if they get the right guys in those positions.
1: Yeah. So the the what I'm most intrigued by my first initial look is Quinn's defenses have the issues they've run into have been often because they're light up the middle, like yeah. they're thin through the spine. This team is not thin through the sun. Right. Yeah. Um, this team has John Allen and Deron Payne and Jamin Davis up the middle, at least for next year. Yeah. Um, and I'm curious if Quinn sticks with that and, or does you know, they look to trade Allen? Like, we'll see, obviously, uh, Who knows? Maybe we'll learn a lot more tonight. Uh, We have our 106.7 The Fan versus the Team 980 live event. John Allen is our special guest. And you're damn sure that he's going to be asked about it uh, by either a a drunk or sober radio host of some kind uh, (laughs) at that point in the evening, uh, as we'll be on stage, off air and completely uncensored. Everyone hold on to your butts. Um, But I, I think that 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 personnel mix match is really interesting because I do think that's probably when you talk about Quinn being a guy who learns from mistakes and is is kind of always introspective. Like I think he knows that was a problem after the Green Bay game.
0: Yeah, I mean they tried to address it though. You know they tried to bring. Yeah, Mozzie Smith was supposed to be
1: the guy, and apparently he was a lot smaller and played a lot smaller than than uh, they thought when they watched him on tape at Michigan.
0: No, yeah, and I think so. Again, I think he's aware of those things, and again, that's where the personnel stuff comes in. That's where you got to say, hey, this guy is actually. You know, like we just came back from the senior bowl. There's the guy, Tre'Andre Sweat, down there, right? He's, you know, he didn't weigh in because he was so big. But like, <laughs> is that is that a decision you make to kind of add to that rotation? Uh, you know, you have John Ridgeway, you have pieces you have there, Big Phil, yeah, Big Phil. You've got some pieces that you feel good about, but um, you know, like, does that change how he calls a defense? I would assume yes, you know, because he kind of a lot of the stuff he does on third down is getting kind of those tweener guys, those big like bigger defensive ends to play defensive tackle, those smaller. Rush linebackers, so you can run kind of pseudo blitzes and overloads just with the front four. So again, I I think there are some you got to have some additional pieces there for sure to make that work. But I do, I do think that that the defensive tackle personnel here is unique, kind of more similar to what he had in Seattle. Because I think people forget, like that defensive interior was very, very physical and they were big. And I think like this kind of harkens back to that. And obviously now you need to get some edge pieces you need to get some depth at linebacker you need to kind of and that that's why this is this job is tough i think too because there's a lot of pieces that need to be added to make this thing go and cook and that's why um adam's making a lot of money right because this this is gonna be a tough deal and i think uh but i do think that you've got you've got some you've got a skeleton here that you kind of say oh well like if we get a Let's say we had a good edge rusher in the draft. Let's say we are a edge rusher in free agency. We pick one up in the draft. We got a linebacker we like, just a rotational kind of depth guy that can get us all on the same page. You know, maybe the 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 the, the scope of the defense feels a little bit different going For into sure. the next season. And hey,
1: if Forbes becomes the playmaker he was drafted to be, right? Um that to me is like the most exciting guy with terms of fit is cover you got three. The, uh, you got the well it just You got the coach and the coaches who have created the best turnover creating corners in the league the last couple of years. Great point. And one of the best guys that we've ever seen do it at the college level who was uh, just heinously poorly coached as a rookie. Um, So let's see what he can do in year two all right much more on this obviously to come uh much more on logan's trip to the senior bowl we are going to get very draft heavy very quickly with this coaching search wrapping up we'll talk about the coordinators as they get in film studies the whole deal you know how we do here on take command unless you're new and well that's what we do here at take command and you should subscribe to our podcast so you do not miss any bit of this golden analysis uh i will see you guys later on today if you're listening on friday uh for the hoffman show four to seven on the team 980 including a visit from the man who has called more cowboys games on television than anyone the last three years kevin Burkhart, the play-by-play voice for fox um the uh the lead play-by-play voice he will join me uh my boy clinton yates will join me on a friday uh, and we'll see who else stops by as well as uh the crew shows up there at the bethesda theater ahead of our live event tonight and uh, if you're listening to this over the weekend all that stuff already happens you should go check the hoffman show podcast wherever you're listening right now we'll see you early next week for the senior bowl recap and a recap of dan quinn's intro presser for logan i'm craig see ya. thanks for listening